Satan, magic, death, evil, war, war pigs, the devil, the people's music. Those are the taglines that metal gets. Tonight on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, we're going to talk about it because Black Sabbath, they really took their ethos from the horror films. They were like, well, let's just talk about scary stuff because that's what the movies do. Or as Ozzy said, if people go to the movies to get fucking scared, let's fucking sing about it. And the and the history of metal, I mean, in that vein, you talk about Ty, Ty, Tony Ioni of Black Sabbath who worked in a factory and went to go press the metal one day because the guy didn't show up and the tips of his fingers came off. That's metal right there. And how he adapted. He said, my music career is not over. And boom, you got that Black Sabbath sound. And we're going to talk about that tonight on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Stay tuned. Quote a very famous musician. Rock! And this is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Talking about metal, talking about music. And so, metal is—it's a—it's an expression. It's a form. I mean, the movie could be metal. In fact, I've said this before. Watching the Northman—that's like—that's like a metal music video. Anytime it's Vikings, okay. Anytime it's vampires, they get down. They get down. If you think of what I just said in the beginning, we talked about Tony Ioni of Black Sabbath and the finger incident and the blues. You know, metal really, hard rock comes from the blues and the influence. Metal is everywhere. I mean, there's different, there's there's death metal, there's, you know, uh, thrash, um yeah oh my goodness and and what stirred this was my cousin where we were, we were talking about metal and i and i thought yeah that's what i'll talk about you know because so, i was gonna talk about it, something else i always talk about movies and i always talk about music it's it's just not one thing and just a concert experience and how hard rock and metal it it really does get a bad rap because people think this and people think that of that. I've talked about this before, how my friend and I went to go see Tool and I was going to invite the whole family because we all go to concerts together. I've taken her and I've taken her son. The daughter wouldn't go and here's why. She said she won't go because she thinks they're devil worshippers because the pentagram. I was like, really? Really? Fuck that shit. That's when you're holier than thou, Okay drop that shit because that's not a fun life that's not a fun life ease up let go uh relax music is music and the same could be said of iron iron maiden iron maiden did the number of the beast are you fucking kidding me come on come on but you know there's also safe there's safe metal yeah not gonna say who. I'm not gonna say who, because <laughs> I don't want to piss people off. 
This is Tony Ioni. I love Tony. Talking about what happened on that fateful day at the factory. Well, it's a, it's a funny story, really. Not a funny one, but a strange story. It's, uh, um, <clears throat> I was at work. I used to do uh, electric welding, arc welding. And the, 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 the place where I worked was a, was a sheet metal work factory. And they used to cut the metal and send it to me to weld. And it happened that the person who was supposed to be doing all the cutting didn't, didn't come in to work. So they asked me if I'd do it. Otherwise, I'd be sitting around, you know, twiddling my thumbs, basically. So um, I said, I've never done it before. And I said, well, would, would you, you know, we'll show you what to do and whatever. And uh, <clears throat> so they started doing it. And... and um, this thing just come down on my hand and it, it trapped my hand and, and your reaction to pull your hand back I just pulled the ends off and, uh, and that was that uh, and strangely enough I was going to leave that job the next day well on that day as a matter of fact I wasn't going to go in on the afternoon I went back home I said to my mother I said oh, I'm not going in this afternoon and she went you go in you go to work you go to work so I went in and, and that's what happened so uh, I, I went ahead and tried to make myself something, and I did. I made some tips out of a squeezy bottle. I, I melted it down into a ball, and a um, little, little ball like that. And then I got a hot old uh, soldering iron and pushed, the, pushed it through. And then I, I made it fix onto my fingers, and I sat there all night then, rubbing it down so it had shaped like a finger. And then I had to put a piece of leather on so it would grip the strings, because otherwise you know, it would slip off. And it was just something I developed over that period and then I could it enabled me to be able to play. And those are the godfathers of metal. Okay. Now there's another band that came up uh, there's several that came up around that same time. There was Deep Purple. Now the one musician, my cousin's gonna love this because he's just gonna be like, oh yeah. We're talking he can play guitar. I can't can sing a little um but only two of my cousins i actually will let hear i'll let them hear me sing and maybe one friend everyone else because then it's like judgment 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 but they they give me some really good um advice now um i'm gonna play this i'm not gonna get taken down because it's not copyrighted because he's just playing the riff this man like Tony Ioni, is an icon. I, if you ever watch it, might get loud. Jimmy, motherfucking page. The, um, it originated from playing around on a tuning that I've been using quite a bit. And um, it's called, they call it Dadgad, okay, for the, for, and it's... Uh, like it's pretty similar to like a, a, a sitar tuning, yeah, yeah, yeah. actually. But um, I, I'd, um, I've been playing around on this quite a lot, and uh, it just so happened that I, there was this song that I had called Swan Song, believe it or not, and it was all these parts and intricate guitar parts, and right at the very end of it, I had this, I had this thing which went like this. <laughs> The 
tape ends. And I right. thought, well, we were doing some rehearsals. Well, we were making an album, actually, with Led Zeppelin. And um, John Bonham was there. And the others, I don't know where they, they were. They weren't actually at the house. This is at Headley Grange. And I said, I've got this riff. So now I turned it round, starting with the first bit first. Right, yeah, yeah. And he lays the, uh, and he lays on the rhythm on it. So it sort of goes like this. Wow. So with that, we, wow. you've got this riff, which is sort of like a round, it's circling around, and then the, and then this sort of cascade that goes over the Beautiful. top, and it hits its atonal point, you know, it's cool. The way it cycles around, it's yeah, really Yeah, yeah, but it's, you know, it's really, that's one of those real hypnotic riffs, you yeah. know, cool. And, and with the drums, so yeah. menacing. Yeah, that's right. She's got this tension. Now, that is Jimmy Page. I played some of it because I didn't want to play all of it where he's jamming with Jack White and The Edge. Jack White of White Stripes and The Edge of U2. And Jimmy Page, I mean, they're all jamming with him. but And I play that because Jimmy Page's guitar playing, when I hear that song, I think of water, especially the guitar part. It's circular. It's circular. It's almost like um, a whirlpool, you know, or an, uh, an underneath um, a funnel of sorts and and it's hitting the atonal and it's cascading oh god that song i will be controversial and say that i've always preferred cashmere over stairway to heaven and even robert plant has said that that he prefers cashmere over stairway to heaven there's something magical about both songs but for me cashmere because people have tried to sample it and then they did their, their reunion concert in 2007 with Jason Bonham, John Bonham's son. And just that song stood out. And, oh, God. Th that's what it's about. That's what it's about is... And you think about it, you think about Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. They were not getting a lot of radio airplay. They weren't. But they were getting were fans, people who were listening to them. Because at this moment, this was um, this was album rock. This was album. If the album, if the album didn't gel, then <laughs> and so whenever we talk about Grammys or awards, you think about it. Back in the day. 
You think Led Zeppelin never got nominated until like decades later. Same with Black Sabbath. Same with Deep Purple. Okay, I love Deep Purple. I got into Deep Purple a little late. Just like I did to Lamb of God. I want to give a shout out to Adam Simmons of Simmons and More and Creatures of the Night who said, I love Adam's response. Adam, Adam doesn't hold back. Adam is as blunt. I mean, and I, but I love that. A- Adam, Adam will fight you on it. Oh, he will fight you because he, he's kind of scratching his head like, wait a minute. I, w- I want to find what he said to me. <laughs> it's all, it's all love there. It's all love. Um, because it, we're, he told me one time he commented, you should listen to this. I was like, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> you know, like, like I have to assume the position. Um, let me see. What did he say? Because I just recently got into Lamb of God. I'd heard them before, and I thought that's such a weird name, you know. Because some sometimes you know you can't judge a book by its cover or a name. But in that that instance, let me find it. What he said, it was kind of funny. But you know, I I always I always have a, a good comeback, and um, um, because Lamb of God, ha- they have a new single out called uh. Nevermore, I think. And um, where had I posted it? Because, you know, I was relaxing. I was by myself and I'm listening, uh, you know, and I was kind of vibing out a little bit, shall we say. And um, I think I had gotten back. Was it Friday? It probably was Friday. It wasn't Saturday. It wasn't Saturday because I saw Bob Dylan on Saturday. Um. Where is it? Where did it's so funny as you know, I'll go through and it's like, okay, did I post because it's all it's all hidden under a barrage of stuff. And uh, okay, is that it? No. But yeah, I I heard Lamb of God and I went, oh, shit. That's intense. That is intense. Because it starts off as kind of. And then goes. It's like okay, all right. Um, and those are those are the good. You know, I'm a big tool head. I'm a big tool head. I love tool. Um, different vibe. Some people don't like tool, and that's fine. I met them at that Metallica show at AfterShock last year, and all they did was complain. One guy said his son fell asleep watching till it's like oh how cute and you're telling me this i almost said that i thought no i don't want them to beat me up you're telling me this because you think you're funny but here's the thing i left (laughs) i left um when metallica had um how many songs left they had three what they were doing was they were playing um the whole black album anyway so I posted, I recently started listening to Blam of God and they blew my mind. And then Adam says, like just now, their shows in the early 2000s were life-threatening. Their first three albums during the post-9-11 America were brutal. And I said, yes, I'm aware. I get into bands on my own time. When I'm ready, I immerse myself. And then he says, what albums? Ashes Wake, As the Palace Burns, American New Gospel are fucking masterpieces. I was at a Philadelphia show too. Amazing. So Adam Adam is very passionate about metal. He's he oh yeah and and pizzas and 
if he can i know you're listening if he can construct for me um uh uh um uh what is it uh a gluten-free pizza with a little bit of you know what in it we've talked about this come on come on a little bit of edibles maybe mixed in i will so eat it it has to be like a personal size pizza though because i can't eat a whole bunch of pizza all right um yeah, those he's passionate about metal, as is my cousin. My cousin was like, oh, my God, you need to see Rammstein. I'm fully aware of Rammstein. Okay. Oh, my God. I, I think my cousin saw Soundgarden, too. He gets brownie points right there because I never saw Soundgarden. Rest in peace, Chris Cornell. And then the other day, I was listen- I'm not a big Linkin Park fan. I was listening to Linkin Park on my friend George Strombolopoulos's Apple show, and they were playing Lincoln Park, and I thought, ah, oh, Chester, Chester, yeah. Um, but metal, you know, there's several, there's different subgenres. But then it's like, do we really need a subgenre? When you talk to people, I mean, there's there's metal in Sweden, there's metal in Norway. The band that really intrigues me because their sound is so wide is Meshuggah. I believe Miss Sugar are from Sweden. The new album, there's a song there called Broken Cog. And it starts off in a whisper. And then it builds. I was so stunned by that. The whole album itself. When an album flows like that. And then Behemoth. Behemoth have a new song out. I love. Hey, after I saw Behemoth in Berkeley, it's like I just follow them now all the time. I love social media for that because you can follow these bands. The new single is called Off to War. It is from uh, Opf Contra Navrem. I think that uh, if I didn't say it right, come after me, please. D- correct me. See, music, especially hard music, gets a bad rap. But at the same time, I don't think we care. You look at the award shows, and, and in my mind... I, you know, maybe I was a little naive. I was hoping that Gojira would get dominated for album of the year because Fortitude was amazing, but they didn't. So then, you know, it's or like even Metallica. Because good music like that doesn't get nominated in those categories. I remember when Tool put out Fear Inoculum. I thought, oh, this is going to get album of the year. Didn't. It didn't. Instead, Vampire Weekend uh, got nominated. That pissed me off because I thought, oh. Nothing against Vampire Weekend, but that's not metal. What I notice is is that these establishments, like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they look down upon metal. That's why it took them so fucking long to induct Deep Purple. Um, You know... I, I want to give a shout out to the LNC because we've we've listened to George talk about Deep Purple and his love for them and his love for the music. And it is it is intense. And um I wanted this is um let's see. It's always good to this is this is them talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They were in the press room. Talk about a long fucking time coming. Here's and Lars Ulrich. Lars Ulrich inducted them. Okay. I'm gonna stay right here. Hi. 
Congratulations. We're going to do right to left and then up top, gentlemen. Want a couple more? Hi, congratulations. Get right in there. And then upper deck, everybody. Nice up top. actually be standing here with Richie and John uh, but that's not reality at the moment so it's the way it is but uh, Richie and John in particular and Ian Pace I have to say when I first met them I'd never met musicians like that before and they taught me a hell of a lot so I owe them an, an enormous debt and I just wish we could all be together here I told you already, I invited him, you know. Well, not yeah. Twice. You have to understand, Richie is a singular animal, and he could say he wasn't turning, going to turn up for the last six weeks, and he'd just like him to have turned up. So you never know. You know, it would not have surprised yes. me at all to look around and seen him there. But it was Richie's choice, and that's fine. Okay, you know, thank you. no problem. Thank you. And uh, gentlemen, we have one more in the back. Yeah. No, we didn't know what he was going to say, but I wish we could live up to it because it was wonderful. Okay. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Congratulations. So I don't want to play the Lars Ulrich speech because, you know, Lars doesn't like it when we share things. So and I don't want to get him on the on, you know, the shit side. And that's Deep Purple, though, talking about, you know, the reunion, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, or as it's been called, the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame. Now, as we as we dive further into this beautiful, hard music. Now, there's a band that I want there. I love their interviews because to me, they're very mysterious. They're very mysterious. And. If I can, uh, oh, I, uh, five reasons I hate that when people post videos about hating a band. Give me a fucking break. This is Thomas Hawk talking about Meshuggah's writing process. Okay, and I'm so over these YouTube commercials. I'm just gonna have to shell out and get YouTube Premium. Okay, here he is talking to Loudwire. 
for this album to come out, which is not atypical for Meshuggah. Um, typically right. around three to four years. Uh, why does it take so long for these albums to come out? It, everything is incredibly complex. Um, how long do you spend writing the album? Yeah, that's the thing. We, um, we It takes uh, usually at least a year to write an album. And if, if you look at like the touring cycle for Colossus, the previous album, you do at least like two years of touring and mm -hmm. then you do maybe a, a bunch of festivals and stuff. So two, two and a half, three years and before touring, you know it. Tour, it's yeah, and we're one of those bands that we, we could never write like on a tour bus or in hotel rooms or stuff like that. I don't think one single. No singer. So the the lyricist part, that was something that, that came once I kind of, when I joined Meshuggah in 1990. And, and uh, Neil Pert, I guess, was the one that kind of opened my eyes to the fact that you can you can act, actually be like something other than the, the vocalist and still write the lyrics for a band. And uh, I guess I just, uh, when I joined Meshuggah, they, they didn't really want to write lyrics. They didn't. They weren't interested in that. That was just like a necessary evil, almost like you have to have some kind of lyrics right. uh, because we want to have vocals. But they didn't. They really weren't interested so much in, in writing lyrics. So, so it was kind of a natural segue of me kind of taking over that, you know, more and more. They're great lyrics. I mean, they're so like you. You come off as really well read, and you know, is that truth though? Like, do you do you read a lot to kind of prep for for writing lyrics? I would say I used to, for sure, you know. Uh, it's Thomas Hockham Meshuggah talking about the process. As he talked about another legendary band, I thought, let's go to an interview when they were all still with us. People waiting out front for somebody who will sell them a ticket. You feel like, wow, we've got all these people out there. We really owe it to them to keep going here and do the best that we possibly can. Certainly we feel that, but I think we feel a responsibility to ourselves to put on the best show and play as well as we absolutely can. It's all showbiz stuff, but really you do feel only as good as your last show. Yeah. And if yeah. I feel I hadn't played well last night, then tonight will be my chance to make up for that. And I'll have been down on myself during all that interim time, but the next one, you'll have, that's the great thing about touring and playing live, you have another chance to get it right. There, there, there isn't but a handful of bands who have made it as, as long as you guys have. Getty, what, what, do you, what do you think is the magic that has allowed you to do that? Is it the fact that you and Alex were high school buddies who grew up with the same musical influences, wanted to do the same thing. I know that Neil is still the new guy. <laughs> I'm here 36 years. But my theory is that we all make the same number of mistakes, so nobody can get mad at each other. There can't be factions forming, you know. If, if somebody has a bad night, somebody else has a bad night the next night, and we all feel kind of an equal basis that way, where there's, there's never any um, uh, competition about it. Yeah, the strange truth is that we like each other. And uh, for some ridiculous reason, we still enjoy what we do tremendously, and, and we like the music that we're making together. And it kind of begins and ends with that. Mm. So uh, when we get into rehearsals or we're planning a tour or we're planning something, we have a good time, and we kind of still believe in what we're doing, and we keep wanting to push the boundaries of what our abilities allow us to do. Also, we're equally handsome, so <laughs> people doesn't get in yeah. the way. The same number of girls are equally impressed by our vision every night. <laughs> that is Rush talking to John Roberts, who was who used to be at CNN in 2010. And I, met, and I wanted to end with them because those guys, come on. You want to talk about virtuosos? Getty Lee, vocals, bass. Alex Lifeslin on... Uh, guitars and the late Neil Pert on drums come on
come on nothing gets better than that they are in the the metal canon they i mean they're known as progressive rock but then that uh, you think of the 2112 album and how crazy that is and they're reading ian rand i mean that's the beauty of this music is that you think of all these bands that are cousins they're all on the, the the tree of life of music and so yeah that's why i wanted to talk about that and um to end with Rush, because, again, they weren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They really didn't want to be in there, and the fans but the fans wanted it. And Neil Peart, when they, when they got up there to accept in 2013, I believe, um, Neil was like, you know, we used to think this isn't a big deal, and then we realized it really is. And then Getty was like, the fans have wanted this for us, and this feels good. And then Alex was like, oh, blah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> it, it, some people call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame. Motorhead is not in there. I love Motorhead. I love Lemmy. And um, Judas Priest is going to go in. Mi- minist- I love Ministry. Ministry isn't in there. I mean, come on. Come on. Throw him a fucking bone. Unpleasant dreams. <laughs>